Uh, open up your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you can imagine uh, yourself going to a, the doctor, and uh, you, you, we always know things are wrong with us, right? Uh, even if we don't feel like it, we know that there are things wrong. And the doctor runs a battery of tests. He, uh, he pokes us, he puts us into tubes and various other things. He, uh, he's checking us out, and, and then uh, we get the, all these tests done, and then he comes in with that, that chart thingy. Uh, some of you look at chart thingies. And uh, he starts looking and goes, uh-huh, 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 okay, yeah, th- yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then he says something like this, uh, uh, I'm going to write you a prescription, uh, I was going to say the fancy names, but I don't know what they are, uh, for this strong antibiotic, take this, and uh, we'll see in a couple weeks, hope it works. Um, but doesn't say anything else. Some of you say, well, that's what my doctor does, no, uh, but you say, uh, you could put some things together uh, about what that doctor thought that you were wrong, was wrong with you, right? There was some kind of infection in you, then he thought that these antibiotics would do this. Or maybe he would say this, uh, yeah, oh yeah, I looked at all these things, okay, uh, we're going to do an angioplasty and we're going to put a couple of stents in. What's wrong with you? Something, something inside, right? The heart, the pipes, right? Something's wrong with the pipes, uh, and or maybe uh, for you, uh, they say, well, uh, th- there's these potassium pills, and you're gonna have to take 12 of these for breakfast. You know, uh, you're gonna think to you, to yourself, you're gonna think, ah, I bet you I'm low, a quart low or something like that of <laughs> potassium, right? Um, you can connect uh, the the problem, even if it's not spoken, with the cure, right? And as we look at the scripture, really. Uh, one of the great things of the New Testament is that we can do that in the New Testament as well. We can uh, think through what might have been uh, the danger or even the sickness uh, by what God wants to communicate uh, to a particular group of people. And I would say this, for us, it's the same for us here this morning. Uh, Why has God brought you here this morning? You say, well, I come every week. Well, why does he want you here every week? To hear his word, to hear what he has to say. Why? Because you need it, because you need it. And you say, well, I didn't come last week. Uh, That's why you came this week, right? Because you needed it, and God wanted you to be here. Uh, And he's got a message for you. And if you don't show up next week, you know what that means? You're mad, and you didn't like what I said. No, uh, but... uh, uh, to know that we are needy, we are needy people in uh, need of God's input. Um, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, this passage in Philippians that we're in this morning, and we're going to uh, find our critical need for humble service of others, um, and really not just our humble, that, that we need this, that we need humility and service, but also steps to get there, steps to get there, and so... Hopefully, as we look at this, this will be super helpful for us as people who struggle in these very areas um, that God would teach us to walk with Him in humble service. Uh, If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read through really the next few sections, or the, the whole section, but we're just looking at a couple of verses today, maybe just one, depends how things go. Um. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, uh, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask for um, hearts that are open uh, to be changed this morning as we hear from you. Uh, God, bless our time. May your spirit be at work uh, changing us into who you've saved us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, uh, uh, we looked at a passage starting in verse 27 of the previous chapter, and uh, it, it was a passage that really looked at our, our whole matter of life, like uh, not just a particular area, but um, in some translations it even says whatever, whatever. Uh, it's this idea that uh, this is a course for the whole uh, deal in your life, not just one area, not just your work or your family or uh, the way you think or the way you act. It's this whole idea. It's, it's true for every part every nook and cranny of your life. Um, great book. I can't help but think about it. A little pamphlet, uh, My Heart, Christ Home. is an old book. Uh, I think it was written in the late 60s. And this idea that Christ isn't just for part of your life, but to take over. And then as he takes over, uh, it's uh, that all of your life will uh, reflect and be changed uh, by your relationship with Christ. But last week we looked at this idea of a whole manner of life. And in that passage, um, it, it connects that Paul expected that the work that Christ wanted to do was to save them and change them, but also put them together for his work. That they were, um, as he had saved them, uh, if you look back in middle of verse 27, he says, uh, that, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You, you realize um, that uh, what he desired to see, what Paul thought was um, going to be the change in the gospel in them that he wanted to hear about, you realize that's hard to do. Have you ever tried to work with someone? Have you ever tried to be married? 
Have you ever, uh, you know, if you have siblings and uh, your parents say uh, you're sharing a room or something, uh, and it says, go clean your room, you know, how's that work, right? You just chuck all the junk on the other person's side, right? Uh, there's this idea, and, 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 and kids, as they try to work together or not work together, there's this idea that says, that's not my job. That's not my job. I don't want to do that. He's not, you know, there's always this idea of comparing and covering and uh, this whole idea. It's so hard to work together. Um, You realize that the reason it's hard to work together is my sin bumps up against your sin. The, the reason that it's so hard for us to work together is there's a comparison and this idea that says, well, I, I've done my part. I've done my part. And the, the point isn't the part. It's that we're striving together to accomplish something uh, that's before us and that we are called to be a team in. And so now the, the same idea is continuing on. And uh, it's, it's very important that we understand how important this is. Um, you know, we're going uh, we're gonna to look through this this next couple of weeks. We're going to kind of slow down um, as we look at this. If you look back to chapter 1, chapter 1 was really the, the pressures from the outside. The idea of the persecutions and sufferings that were from the outside. But now, he kind of turns in to relationships between believers. And I just want to put it to you this way. Uh, he's describing for us how to work in the church. But he's also describing for us how to work in a family. How to work in a family. But he's also describing for us how to work in a marriage. How to work in a marriage. And I want to I, I tell you that I know uh, that all those are difficult. And so as we look to God's word, um, even as I shared with you about the doctor that knew, uh, the, knew the solution, uh, Paul, because he was inspired by God to write this, he knew the solution for anything that might be a danger in the future for the Philippian church or maybe even a present reality where they were struggling right now. Um, word travels fast in Rome, right? And as Philippi, maybe we don't know exactly uh, what messages Paul got, but chances are somebody was telling on somebody else uh, as he received a gift, as he received word from Philippi. Uh, They're struggling a little bit. And so as we look at this this morning, I want to tell you there's a cure for your selfishness. There's a cure for your jealousy. There's a cure for your pride. Uh, and your desire to be first. I want to tell you that the, um, really most of sin falls into two categories, pride and selfishness. Uh, there's a couple of places throughout the New Testament that describe pride and selfishness as kind of root sins. And when I think of prideful and selfish people, I think of men. And it's easy for me to say that because I'm a man. Um, you think about uh, the ways that men are, are prideful and selfish. The idea that says, I can do it. I can do it. And uh, the, the, the loving displaying strength, right? Loving the idea of doing it by themselves. It's that whole asking for directions or asking for help, right? It's displayed in the heart of men. Uh, I think 
If you want to argue with me, uh, you're just displaying your pride with me if you don't think that's true. Uh, just wanted to throw that trump card down before any of you, some of you are thinking, no, that's not right, Pastor. No, men display this pride, prideful selfishness over and over again. Um, don't make me, don't make me come to your house uh, and uh, point things out. When I think of uh, uh, prideful selfishness along with men, the other group that is right, right below them are the young, right? The young. Kids these days, I tell you. They're just so proud and selfish. They never ask for advice. They're only thinking of themselves over and over again. Young people are just like that. You know, uh, some of you are smelling the trap right here and you don't want to agree with me, but you do want to agree with me, right? Uh, if you think of young people today, um, you know, really when you think of teenagers or uh, college students and 20s, teens and 20s, you think about their lives, and they, they say this over and over again. There's my car. There's my car. These are my shoes. These are my books. I'm going to my school. This is my phone. Actually, my life. Uh, and uh, they, they go over and over again. It's mine, mine, mine. And, and when you hear that, what, what is that? It's selfishness, self-focus. And the idea that you wouldn't take input or you wouldn't see yourself as needy. You know what that is? That's pride. So when I think of uh, being proud and selfish, I think of men and I think of the young. But wait, there's more. Looks different though, huh? Looks different. Have you ever seen a, a proud or selfish woman? They exist. Looks a little different than the man version, usually. Usually. Have you ever seen a, a woman who had to have what she had to have? And she had to have it exactly the way she wanted it. And she didn't care what it cost, or she didn't care uh, who had to sacrifice to get it. Did, did, have you ever seen a woman when she didn't get her way, and she started pouting, or started strategically manipulating the circumstances so that somehow everyone would bow to her wishes. You're now I'm meddling. Good, huh? Woo, I better stop. I think you get my point, right? I think you get my point. Uh, the sins of uh, being proud or prideful, being prideful and being selfish, they're not just man problems. They're woman problems as well. And lastly, the other group I want to talk about are those who are old. Those who are old. Uh, I hate to say this, but they're not just problems of youthfulness. Sometimes the old just want to talk about what they want to talk about. And they say, I, I, I want to I, I share what I want to share. I don't want to talk about what you want to talk about. I don't want to eat what you want to eat. It's too loud for me, so could you quiet down so I can have what I want? I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sleep there. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to. And uh, you're wrong. You know why you're wrong? Because you're young and I'm old. Uh, you think about these things and these, these are uh, things. They look different. They look different in, in different people. But the sins are common, pride and selfishness. Unfortunately, um, 
these sins are, are like dominoes, dominoes. Because the sin that I do doesn't just affect me, it affects my wife. It affects my wife, it affects my kids, it affects my, my dad. It affects this church, right? It, it affects my friends. It, you know, it affects other people. And you know what's so dangerous about these sins is your sins, your pride, your selfishness. You know who it affects? Anybody you're in relationship with. Anybody. When you have to have your way, uh, the people that God has called you to serve suffer because of it. When uh, your, your pride gets uh, your family in trouble, your whole family gets to enjoy that as well. Uh, these are the domino effects of sin. And so as Paul considers the Philippian church, he, he wants to give them this. Uh, it, it, pride and selfishness don't seem like a big deal. You know, oh, they're, they're not one of the big sins. Oh, yes, they are. In fact, they're root sins that lead to other sins. And so Paul addresses this in ways, and I want to encourage you, do come the next few weeks. Listen, if you're going to be out of town, listen. Uh, hope to get it up by Monday sometime, right? It's up on the, the inter, interwebs or whatever they call that thing. Uh, you can find it online. Uh, when people say you can find it online, that means they don't know where to find it, right? You know, they assume it's there. Um, I, I want to encourage you um, that this, this passage, this section of Scripture has something for you. It has a way out, a way out. It has the cure for your disease, your sin disease of pride and selfishness. And so I want to encourage you with that. Um, he, he comes to this section of how do you change. And uh, forgive me for saying it like this. How do you uh, get pride and selfishness out of your life? I don't know if you've gone to the arcade lately and... Uh, one of my favorite things to see at the arcade is the whack-a-mole game. Uh, because it's this game where these moles come up and you have this mallet and you're trying to pound them. And, and if you pound this one, another one comes up there and they're coming up and you're just kind of going like this, like a crazy person, trying to knock all the moles down. It's kind of like chasing gophers here in the spring. But uh, um, it, it's this idea that you feel like it's coming up everywhere. And I want to tell you, pride and selfishness come up everywhere. But I want to give you um, really some root causes, some root ideas uh, that would help us in our battle uh, against pride and selfishness. This section that we're going to look at, there's really three sections and it's, it's a literary section. There's some beauty to it in the, the Greek language. Even the second part in a few weeks that we're going to look at, they even feel like it's a song uh, as they consider the Greek language. But maybe this, this front part here is more a, a, a poem type thing or just the idea that they wanted to put it in different ways that we would be able, really easier for the, those who spoke Greek and understood Greek, uh, would be able to remember it and see the power of argument. The, the first section we're looking at will be really four lines, four lines that are synonymous. They all mean the same thing. They're, they're building upon each other by impact, saying the same thing over and over again, talking about the, the very same theme. 
And it starts out um, in this first point, and really we might just get through the first point today. Um, as I was thinking through the scripture, I, I realized that maybe we bit off more than we can chew. Um, and this morning, the, the first point, or maybe our message today, is that we would treasure the work of Christ in our lives. That we would treasure it. Um, the second and third section, uh, if you look at these verses, uh, are really verses 2 and then 3 and 4 together. Um, he says this, Complete my joy by being the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord with one mind. He's saying be unified, be together uh, in really the, the core of who you are. And then verse 3 and 4, he gives us some even more practical advice. And he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others uh, more significant than yourselves. And he says, let, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so I just want to tell you what's going to come next after this first point. There are going to be some very practical things. Be united, treasure unity, and then uh, in humility, serve one another. Serve one another. Uh, the cure for your selfishness and pride is not getting what you want. Uh, maybe some things you should think through parenting-wise, and, and I should think through parenting-wise. Sometimes we look at our kids and we go, man, they're flipping out. They're so selfish. I should give them what they want so they'll quit being selfish. Kids got rotten teeth. Give them some candy. Uh, you know, I think, think that through, right? There's an answer. There's an answer. There's a corresponding answer to your problem. The problem is selfishness and, and struggling with unity, being proud and selfish. Uh, there's an answer, and it's in serving. It's in serving. Um, not serving less, but serving more. Serving more. Uh, that, that's what we're going to look at in the, the weeks to come. But I want to give you uh, really the, the bedrock, uh, the, the foundation. And it's that we would treasure the work of Christ in our lives. We would treasure it. Every day. Every day. That we would treasure what Christ has done. Let me show it to you. Uh, in uh, verse 1 it says, So if there is, so if there is, and then he's going to go any, 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 any. Okay, four any's, right? Uh, any of these things. And, and, and the idea here is this, that he's building a case uh, really in his thinking that we would change our thinking and that that would become the foundation of us being someone who's not stuck in pride, not stuck in selfishness. And that foundation is the work of Christ. Um. It's interesting, so he says, so if there's any, uh, some have said that this is kind of uh, uh, one of those things, well, obviously there is some, obviously there is, so, uh, but, but it's more than that, is it, it's as if he says, if you could see even a smidgen of this, you know there's more, you know it's worth it. Uh, my sons and I, we like to uh, watch uh, the, the shows where they, they prospect for gold. I love them. I love them. I'll admit it to you. Alaska, the Yukon, you know, they're, 
they're digging through these big piles of rubble and they're putting them through these amazing machines that break every episode. And, uh, and then, you know, they go down and, and, and then they, 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 they're doing the clean out and they find just this little thing right there. And they're so happy. Why? Because if they find that little piece that, that tells them that in this area, there's more, there's more. And if we could just find the more, this is going to be riches beyond compare because I found this little piece. And I want to encourage you, as you look at this, this verse 1, as you are walking in your mind through this, you can say, if I find a little bit of this, I know there's more. I know there's more. And so he says, he starts out with, so if there is any, he's building this foundation. Um. How's the foundation on your house? Does it matter? Yeah, it does, right? Especially, you know, I live in the flatlands here, but some of you live up on the hills right here, you know? Uh, and and as, uh, as you live up on the hills, especially if you didn't, uh, you weren't there when they built your house, you have no idea how they built your house. And you're laying there at night and you hear the rain, you go, oh, I love the rain. Oh, I hope my house doesn't fall down the hill today. You know, I hope it doesn't rain too much. You know, we need the rain, but not that bad, right? You know, and uh, you're thinking through, how is my foundation? But by the way, uh, as you think about your life, it's easy to talk about what you can accomplish. So you're very, like, you go get it, right? You're people who get up and you make things happen. You put on a happy face. You're people who can accomplish great things because you have lists and stuff like that that you love to work off of and you can stay at it, right? This is not about you performing. Uh, Your pride and selfishness reveals that there's a problem. And it's not a problem with your performance. It's a problem with your foundation, And so uh, as we look at this passage, I I just want to tell you, this is a foundational issue. I think through in the book of Ephesians, uh, it speaks of Christ being our chief cornerstone, chief cornerstone. And this is some of that same picture going back to what is foundational for you? What is your life built upon? As he said in verse 27, you know, Consider the manner of your life, that that it comes from Christ. How can we have a manner of life that comes from Christ? It deals with our foundation. So as we look at this, we're going to see four things, four things that he points out. And he says, so if any, okay, so if any, um, as he says this, um, he says, is there any encouragement in Christ? Any encouragement in Christ? Other passages that uses different words, exhortation. Uh, difficult word there, not used very uh, often in, in the New Testament. But it, as you think through how they struggled to translate this encouragement or exhortation, the idea here is that um, it's compelling, it's pushing. Um, when you think of the word exhorting, it's, it's this idea, you got to go. And you, oh yeah, I forgot what I was doing. I got to go. And the idea of encouragement, that word probably more accurately, it's the idea that grants courage that we might live. It, it's the idea that gives fuel to our fire. And it's not so much 
this idea keys on this word, but in Christ, in Christ. Uh, Paul loves to use this idea of in Christ, that our salvation is because we are in Christ. He has saved us. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can say, I I know for certain that I am in Christ. And what does that mean? What does that mean for my relationships? What does that mean for my relationships here in the church? What does that mean in my family that I am in Christ? What does that mean in my marriage that I'm a believer and I am in Him? I'm in Him. Really, probably this first uh, line is the big umbrella of describing what we're talking about here. It's being a believer in Jesus. And if you think through foundationally, what he's talking about here is, does it matter, does it matter that you're a believer in Jesus? And not just does it matter, does it matter in your relationships? Does it matter the way you view one another? And so he says this, he says, uh, if you see even a smidgen that it matters, that you're, rela- that you're in Christ, if there's any encouragement to you in that, if there's any of this, it, it, if that compels you to take steps, um, I think it should, right? I think it should. Uh, what's your testimony? What's your testimony? Where have you been? Where have you been? What have you been doing? What was your life before Jesus Christ? What were the dark spots that you were in? Where were you heading? Not, not just even heading eternally, but what, what were you doing? How empty was your heart? How, uh, how did you display that slavery of sin that the Bible tells is true of everyone who doesn't know Christ? And, and for those of you who grew up uh, in the faith or in a church where you heard the gospel over and over again, where could you have been without Jesus? What places would you have gone? When you looked at your peers and the people that were the same age in the same town, where'd they go? What'd they do? What sins did they commit? Where are they now? As you think about that, I want to tell you, that's the encouragement of knowing that you have been saved by Jesus, that you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ here today, I want to tell you that it means everything. It means everything. And so I'd love to share with you more about that. Please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to share with you. And so he says, so so if there's any encouragement in Christ, and you go, yes, there's tons. And you say, no, no, there's tons more that you haven't even tripped over yet. In Christ. There's great encouragement in Jesus. The second one, and he's, he's, these lines kind of come together, the, the same thing over and over again, but bringing out a different aspect of our uh, riches that are found in Christ. He says, if any comfort from love, any comfort from love. Uh, some commentators are struggling to split hairs on this one, and they're saying, well, uh, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? What kind of love? It doesn't say God's love. It kind of does if you look at the Greek, it kind of does because it uses the word 
agape, which is God's favorite word to use. And really, they didn't use it much outside of the Bible. And so you realize that it's God's love. But, but the, the distinction here that could, it be, could be true is, is he's saying um, God's love that he has loved you or is it your love because of God's love that you love one another, the, the Philippian church? Or is it other believers' love for you that you've experienced? And why are we talking about this? Because all three of those are the same source, right? That it's God's love that, that's at the beginning of that. If there's love in relationships in, in the body of Christ, it's because of what God has done for you in Jesus. If you have love for one another that, that resembles that, that God has, that's because He did that in you. And if someone shows you that, that's them being saved and sharing that with you. But most of all, that all comes from God first loving you. First loved you. And I want to tell you, is there any comfort from love, that word there, a similar word to the, the previous line, the idea of comfort or encouragement. Um, and if you think back to the context of the book of Philippians, Paul's imprisoned. They're probably experiencing suffering and dangers ahead of them. And what pressure always does, it causes us to ask the question, should I keep going or should I quit? And he says, is there any comfort from love? Does it matter that you experience or taste the love of God in your life that that would grant you encouragement today? Of course it does, right? What if someone doesn't love you? What if someone treats you badly? What if your day goes bad? You can uh, step back and say, I don't know if anybody else loves me, but God does, but God does. And his love, I, I just have the tip of the iceberg. I just have a, a little flake of gold. And I know there's much more. I know there is. And so as, as he considers his, his situation, Paul undoubtedly reflecting on his own situation and now teaching out of that and, and sharing, inspired by God, message from God for the Philippian church. Is there any comfort in your present situation? Is there any comfort? From the love of God. And as they read it, as they reflect, there should be a scream, yes, yes. Any comfort from love. God's kind of love. Um, why are heartbreaks such a heartbreak? Well, it's because we assume, we assume that others' love, even worldly love, is like God's love. It's forever. It's unconditional. It's without like contingencies, you know, right? We, we assume that to be true. Is that true? No, it's not. And when people let us down, when people hurt us with the words they say and the actions they do, we're shocked. We're shocked. But I want to tell you, is there any comfort in love? Is there any comfort from the love of God? Of course there is. That was the second line. The third line he says, any participation with the Spirit. Participation with the Spirit. And some of these uh, words are hard to define and hard to get together. But as 
you, you look at what uh, salvation is and how uh, God loves us in His Son Jesus and, and how as a part of salvation we uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is for our empowering, for our direction, for our living as God would want us to live and not just living but uh, for us to live, but for us to fulfill the will of God. God did not just set out a task ahead of us of being His church, of reaching the world, of walking in faith, and say, good luck to you. Oh, good luck to you. My microphone's over here. Um, but uh, he, he didn't say that. He said, I will give you my spirit. I will give you the Holy Spirit that will empower you, direct you, guide you, protect you, seal you. I will give you the Holy Spirit that you might be able to accomplish. And he says this, any participation of the Spirit in the Spirit? Yes. Uh, there, there's an interesting picture here, this participation or, or part or this idea of we're somehow connected with the work of the Spirit in our lives. There, there's a participation, there's a partnership there. And what is he talking about? What is he getting at? He's getting at unity, right? And, and what happens with believers is this. That because of the, our relationship with Christ, really a relationship with the Father through the Son, and our ongoing participation or connection with the Spirit of God, the three persons in the Trinity that we're talking about here, this is all connecting us with one another. I'm participating in the Spirit. I, I am one connected to the Holy Spirit as other believers are. And so as I'm called to do my little part on the wall, uh, all my, on my part in his project, the Spirit of God is working in partnership with me, or I'm working in partnership with him, and so are you. So are you. We all are. And it's this obvious connection that we are meant to be together. Participation in the Spirit. And how did we get that? From coming to know Jesus Christ. Uh, forgive me for saying it. For some of you who disagree, there is no second blessing, right? We get this from knowing Jesus. This is part of uh, the beginner package, okay, of trusting in Christ. As we look at this this morning, that was the third one, any participation of the Spirit. Number four, any affection and sympathy? Any affection or sympathy? Um, these two words are coupled together in a line here. Um, as, as we look at this, this fits this pattern of four lines that all say the same thing. But he takes two words and he puts them together, affection and sympathy. Um, we, we do this all the time, uh, too, in the English language. We we take two words or even three words because we feel like it's more than that. It, 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 it's a bigger picture of description. And he takes these two words, uh, ten, uh, affection or sympathy. You could translate those tender mercies or compassion. Uh, it, it's this idea that um, in, in the midst of life's heartaches, uh, you find the compassion of God. You find the grace 
the covering in our failings, in our failings. Um, has, have you seen God uh, through His Son Jesus and the work uh, cover you in your failings? Uh, the, the grace of God, why that's so important of a concept, you know why? Because it says, I couldn't, I couldn't do, I couldn't attain. I came up short, I failed, I was wrong. It was my fault. This mess that was done here, it's got my name written all over it. The grace of God says, I got you covered by the gift of my son. I, I, my son died that you might be covered. That you'll experience my compassion, my sympathy. My, I, I won't hold you. I, I will show you grace where you deserve judgment. And he says, is there any of that? Do you experience any of that? And to, to which you know, the believer says, yes, of course I do. Of course I do. I want to skip down real quickly uh, and read to you again how this continues on. He, he goes on to say in verse 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord uh, of one mind. And then he goes on to those real practical. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Where he's going with this is he says this. Think about Jesus. Think about what Jesus has done. Don't think about Jesus just in terms of what he did, but what it means to you. Not what it means to you like you can write your own story, but Jesus' life and his death, his granting himself, hanging him, being able to take your place on the cross, that means something to you. That's the basis. That's the basis for you being unified one to another in a church, in a family, in a marriage. That's the basis. He wants to call it the unity. Well, how do we get there? We think about Christ. Think about what that means to us. And we're called to be unified. Then there's some practical things that we would serve one another, that we would treasure uh, this idea of serving one another. Let me give you some things this morning as, uh, as we conclude our time. Uh, just some practical ideas. There are not three of them. There are more. Um, first of all, sing songs. Have music playing. Uh, not all my exes live in Texas, okay? That is not going to help you. It is not going to help you uh, with, forgive me for saying it so bluntly like that, uh, kids these days and their music, Right? I did it my way, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra. Don't listen to that. Why? It'll make you selfish. It'll make you selfish. It'll make you proud. It won't help you. There's other, you know, uh, ones that I don't even know, you know. I want to encourage you. Find some, I, I was talking with Zach before the service. I said, Zach, you're going to love this today. Right? He said, why? He says, I'm going to talk about Christ-centered songs. Not really Christ or cross center. I wanted to say cross center, but it's really about Jesus. But it's really not just about Jesus. It's how we fit in because of Jesus. Think about it all the time. If you find yourself becoming proud and selfish, go back to the beginning, to the cross, to what Jesus did for you, to your desperate need. 
Contemplate it. Think about it. Find music that will help you. I want to encourage you about the scripture. Read, meditate, think about it. Why? Because it's going to correct your, your wrong thinking. It says you can do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. And, you know, track record shows you're not good alone. You need Jesus. I want to encourage you uh, to think about your past. Think about your past without Jesus. Honestly and accurately, right? Some of you have selective memories. Hey, I was awesome back in the day. And then your siblings show up or your, uh, you know, people that you grew up with. And you say, no, no, that's not how that story went. Uh, think about the desperation of your own soul apart from Jesus. And reflect on that. Not dwell on it in a sense of, oh, no. But to say, that was put to rest because of Jesus. To think about your past. And then also to think about where you could be apart from Jesus. I grew up uh, in a, a loving family and uh, we went to church. I went to church even before I was born. Uh, figure that out. Um, and so I, I have this amazing testimony of this, that, and the other thing. I remember my, uh, some of my friends, my believer friends, said, Kevin, if you, were, uh, if you were an unbeliever, you would have been the guy at the party with the lampshade, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I look at that. We used to joke about things like that. But where could you have been without Jesus? Where would you have ended up? What would have happened? How would your marriage look? How would your kids look without Jesus, without his grace in your life? Think about it. Why? Because it provides the basis, the basis for you to have this humility, the, the, the unity that comes, that the, the service that needs to grow out of your life that would cure uh, your pride and selfishness. When I was in college, uh, I, was, I lived down in Hollywood. I wasn't trying to be a movie star or anything. I, I was connected with a church while going to seminary and I lived pretty close to the church. We were in an apartment, um, and I, I remember one, one Sunday night, the church we went to uh, had a Sunday evening service, and the pastor was gracious enough to allow me to preach at that, that service, and so I took my Bible. I'm in seminary, and uh, I'm walking to church, and as I walked to church, uh, just past the building, our apartment building, there was a dumpster, and I, I saw a man with a, his back to me. Uh, very, very close to the, the sidewalk, and he had his back to me, and I just felt compelled to say something to him. It just felt kind of interesting as I was going to church, and I saw this guy, and I, I, I said, hey, what you, what's going on? And he turns around, and a very thin uh, young man, but looked very old. His face was just compressed and, and, and sucked in, and his lips were cracked and bleeding, and his eyes were bloodshot, and he was digging through the garbage, for food and it was so startling because I couldn't see that from his back but when he turned around and I looked at him it was obvious that he was on drugs and out of his mind and I gave him a few bucks and I remember walking the rest of the way to church and going now I'm supposed to be preaching you know how do I how do you preach after you see where sin could have led me could have led me 
And, and though for most of us, that wasn't the place that we were at. But I want to tell you, apart from Jesus, spiritually, that's where we would end up. It may not be that particular sin, but it would be just as ugly without Jesus. And so as we look at this first part of the book of Philippians, I want to encourage you, it's the bedrock. It's the bedrock. Don't forget about Jesus. Don't forget about him because he's the answer to your pride and selfishness. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Ask your work to be done in your church, that your spirit that we even spoke of a few moments here would continue this work, that um, we realize that we could not do it apart from your participation with us and our participation with you. Um, God, we realize this isn't a our thing, we're connecting with you. We're, we're giving up our plans to be uh, with you. Change your church, I pray. Uh, help us with this dangerous sin of disunity and selfishness and pride. Lord, help us to be the church you want us to be. Save us from ourselves. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.